you've been listening to something positive for positive people for a while, then you know that it is very rare that we have sponsors. And uh, we got one. <laughs> I want to introduce you, if you haven't already heard of them, to Beducated. And it comes from Education for the Bedroom. There's a free trial for all Beducated courses, and you get 65% off for the yearly pass with my coupon code SPFPP, the acronym for the Something Positive for Positive People podcast. And you can join Beducated from just starting at $9.99 per month. This discount is locked in for life. It's not just for that first year, but it is always going to be what you use when you use my promo code SPFPP. I'll have that linked here in the show notes so that you can check that out. And just to give you an idea, like I'm on here right now scrolling through some of the classes and I've already began to uh, open up tabs for what I'm going to check out. But um, if you've been listening for a while, you probably heard me mention that um, dating dating non-monogamously and there are courses in here that kind of teach you how to do some of that. Um, There's some kinks that I'm also into. I ain't gonna say what my kinks are, like, you know what I mean? But there is dirty talk on here. (laughs) Um, And then a couple of other things. There's shibari. uh, There's things about the female orgasm, cunnilingus, the erotic massage. Uh, There's a complete guide to butt pleasure, fingering, confidence, blowjob, face sitting. This is some exciting stuff. And even Dr. Evelyn Dacker is on here, one of our board of directors, with a positive perspective on sexual health. And the title of that one is Destigmatizing STIs. So there's all kinds of stuff on here. I'm looking, I see, uh, enjoy the power of penetration with a strap-on. So strap-on play, roadmap to intimacy, kinky sex, choking. I'm going to have a field day. So next time you hear me talking about this, I'll have a lot more (laughs) in-depth detail about what it is that I'm checking out for myself. Uh, I'm definitely interested in this, uh, this power dynamics course. I can't find it. Oh, here it is for playing with power dynamics. It's right there. Dominance and submission. So, uh, like I said, if you are interested in becoming beducated, then use my coupon code SPFPP. I'll also have that linked in the episode notes of this podcast episode, and you can receive access to a huge library of courses. The ones that I just named and then some. And again, this will be locked in for life. If you go to Beducated yourself, use my code SPFPP, or you can just follow the link from the show notes. I hope that you check this out and you get an opportunity to tell me what some of your favorite courses are. So again, that's just code SPFPP. You can get 65% off for the yearly pass with that coupon code. And uh, yeah, it just starts at $9.99 a month. I look forward to hearing about, oh my God, there's one for threesomes. All right, I got to go. I hope you enjoy this podcast episode. Just in case you haven't already, here's your friendly reminder to rate, review, subscribe to, and share something positive for positive people. This is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that connects people to community and mental health resources who are struggling with herpes stigma. I am your host of this podcast, Courtney Brain, and today I am here with Katie Lang of Strong Mind Counseling, LLC, in St. Louis, Missouri. Okay, I was making sure I said it right, because that shit just came out. I would, I didn't have it scripted or anything. You did. I did add and wellness onto the end. Oh, okay. Strong Mind Counseling, LLC Wellness? Strong Mind Counseling and Wellness, LLC. Ooh, all right. Okay. Make it a little bit more holistic. All right. I got you. I got you. So, um, Katie, you have been a therapist working with something positive for positive people. Oh, man, for at least a year, because I know that you did the group session and then... Starting, man, yeah, at least a year. And then um, I know you had two individual clients for sure that we were working with with one another and they both completed their 12 sessions. I'm like, yes, that is a great completion rate and probably something that I need to track moving forward now that I'm thinking about it. So good for you for getting people, keeping people and seeing them through the finish line. Uh, Can I get you to just introduce yourself, credentials and, you know, whatever else it is that you want to share? 
Sure. Um, so as Courtney said, I am Katie Lang. Um, I am a clinical social worker, LCSW, um, specializing in behavioral health, mental health, love working with adolescents, also work with adults. Um, I would say my specialty is trauma. So I have a, um, I'm a rostered clinician in Missouri for trauma-focused cognitive behavioral therapy, um, which, you know, there's a difference between being trauma-informed and, and trauma-certified, but having that as a background can help you cover so many topics moving forward with adolescents or adults. So, I guess what's the difference? Cool. What, what would the difference be between being trauma-certified and trauma-informed? Um, so trauma certified would have been like, I completed a, a cohort over a year, uh, to get this trauma certificate and had to actually, uh, doing that and to complete it work with clients, like while I was in this group uh, to okay. make sure that, you know, uh, some trauma therapies are very specific depending on what you're using. Um, so to make sure that. I was doing everything accordingly that I could process with other clinicians and, and doctors while I was doing it and things of that nature. Oh, okay. So I guess trauma certified means that you essentially have worked you have with had specific training. Okay. All right. And then trauma informed would be more of like what exactly? You've maybe gotten some CEUs, you know, okay. gone okay. to a, a couple one or two hour classes, things of that nature. All right. So, Katie, I would like for us to really just begin with some of the feedback that I've gotten from your past clients. Uh, I want to share, I can't, I'm not going to say who said what, but no one had anything bad to say. Everyone had high praises. Um, and I'm learning from my end the importance of like representation. So, who I send to certain therapists, um, whether it be like a male identifying or female identifying uh, person, like something as little as that can make a major difference because I've also had to send people to you who, I, who I've uh, previously sent to another therapist and they just didn't click. So as far as being someone who connects with the patient on various levels, um, is there anything that you can speak to in regard to that? Because I know there are people who have a therapist that they feel like, oh, I just don't vibe with my therapist or I feel like I need Absolutely. another one. Do you have anything that you can say? I mean, I tell people all the time, even my own clients, right, that when you are looking for a therapist, like you are essentially interviewing me. I need to be able to meet your needs, meet your standards. Um, and I, I understand that seeking therapy, you may not know exactly what you need at that time. Um, but I am always, you know, trying to check in with my clients to make sure I'm giving them what they need. Like as therapists, we should be able to accept feedback. Um, and obviously we are not one size fits all. Um, you know, so I always really encourage people to, um, really let their therapist know, like, what they even just day by day hey today I really just need to vent um I need to work on it get these things off my chest or today I really need some more coping skill work and you know validation of that nature um I try and check in with a lot of my clients in that way to make sure that I am meeting their needs and if not like it's not gonna hurt my feelings if I'm not doing what I need and let me help you find somebody else who can yeah and I'm curious to know what the difference is for you between working in a group setting because you did oversee our support group of I believe 12 people and then you also got to see two individual clients I'm curious to know what the difference is in navigating both of those dynamics oh, um, I love both so group settings can be um, if group settings are good it can be awesome and especially with adults uh a little bit easier to navigate if you have a lot of adults who are really willing to participate which is exactly what this group was um if you have a group you know i work with adolescents as well let's say of adolescents um who are a little bit more oppositional or not as cooperative then group dynamics can be really hard um 
individual, obviously you get more of that um, in-depth one-on-one. You can process things more openly that maybe you wouldn't share in a group. You might still participate in a group and maybe hold back a little bit, right? Um, I am sure, um, and there's nothing wrong with that, that we had we had some people uh, in this group who were very willing to share and very open about their story, which is amazing because that can give other people strength to hear those things um, or even just to validate themselves to hear it. And then there were other people who were there every week, but maybe didn't share as much. And that's okay too. You know, so, so group is fantastic support wise. Individual um, is great for more in depth. I wouldn't say one is necessarily more difficult than the other for me as a therapist. Okay. Um, when people just sit there and they join the space and they're there, they keep coming back for a reason. So I'd, I'd like to know for anyone who might be hesitant to join a support group or group therapy because maybe they're shy or they feel like they don't belong or don't fit in. Can you speak to what a person who just doesn't participate might be experiencing? As far as maybe like what they could get out of still attending even if they're not active yeah absolutely um and i i have seen this in in multiple facets you know just to sit there and hear other people's stories right you um you can relate in some form or fashion right so i also like to think of it as um let's say uh alcoholics anonymous aa right um sometimes i will refer people to alcoholics anonymous even if they are not struggling with alcohol abuse, like, hey, go sit in on an open meeting, um, see how you feel. Anytime they use the word alcohol, substitute it for blank, right? Substitute it for, um, you know, marijuana, other substances, whatever it may be, that there is still a lot that you can relate to. Maybe we just have to play around with the wordage a little bit in our own head, Um, but being able to hear other people even speak to some of their life difficulties or their their traumas and know that hey these people are still resilient they're still working through they're willing and open to share um whether they realize it in the moment or not uh, that can still give them a lot of strength and insight moving forward right like you find yourself then a day later a week later a month later like recognizing oh wow like that's something that we talked about in this group and while maybe i didn't vocalize this that is something that I'm struggling or this is something that I'm doing on a day-to-day basis to help myself. Yeah. So I would, it's definitely not required. It's absolutely so helpful and can be a lot more beneficial if you're one of those like active participants in the group. Um, and can just, you know, help your own self-esteem and self-confidence, but just to be in there and actively listen to things that other people have to say can be all that someone needs. Yeah. I appreciate you sharing that. Um, let's get right into the bulk of what our conversation is going to be about. So I go around and I say sexual health is mental health. And that has like, depending on who I'm talking to, it, um, it determines the angle that I take an explanation. So when you hear that, what are your thoughts considering your experience working alongside something positive for positive people? Sure. Um, I would say that, uh, sexuality, sexual health, like that is a, an inseparable part of being human, right? So if we're talking about overall wellness, um, and kind of dimensions of wellness in the therapy world, like we, we can't fulfill the dimensions of wellness without talking about sexual health as well. They're all interconnected and entwined. Now. In your experience with supporting people as a therapist, navigating the stigma around their herpes diagnosis, um, let's let's speak to that because one thing that I've noticed in interviewing people is that yes, they're coming to therapy for um, navigating the herpes stigma and their diagnosis, but that's not all they're talking about. What are some of the things that come up when you're in, let's start with uh, the one-on-one settings for therapy, and then we'll branch out from there. Oh, absolutely. And honestly, especially in one-on-one, but even in, I mean, the group, everything we were, you know, kind of tying back to 
why we're here, right? Um, and a herpes diagnosis and, and how it's affecting our, um, our lives. But even I would say, I mean, we talked about, I came in with a different, I had a different topic prepared for us each day that related. If conversation took us otherwise, fantastic. Um, and I kind of approach individual therapy the same way. I'm going to have something ready for us in case we need it. Um, but, oh my gosh, very rarely, especially individually, are we actually talking about um, a herpes diagnosis or STI status. You know, we're talking about all of those underlying feelings and connections. So relationships, um, boundaries, um, shame, just stress. Um, in, a, in a therapy world, we're doing a lot of cognitive behavioral therapy. So working on the way that we're thinking about things and, and the way that um, we think influencing our emotions and our behaviors. So, you know, that negative self-talk, that comes up all the time. Um, so, I mean, we're really... You know, herpes diagnosis may be the reason that, that you referred them to me and to work with them, but there are so many other things that we are touching on throughout our sessions, especially one-on-one. I would say we're maybe actually working through diagnosis-related things, I don't know, maybe 30% of the time. Do you find that there's consistently like an underlying behavior pattern or emotion that herpes may have brought to the surface? Oh, shame. Absolutely. Uh, fear of rejection. You know, behavior pattern uh, prior to diagnosis or after? I would say, like, for it to bring it to the surface. Because in interviews, I recognize patterns and themes between... Um, similar stories such as patterns in a relationship or patterns with expressing sexuality or patterns in partner selection those types of things okay um i would say individually i i haven't worked with enough enough people specifically to have you know that kind of insight on my own end of, of patterns in that nature uh absolutely i would say um, kind of just disclosure of sexual health in general, right? Um, would I necessarily call that a pattern, though? Because I think this came up in group a lot, is that just the educational piece is not there. You know, when you were working on a relationship, who who was the person who told you, oh, well, one of the, you know, if you're going to get in a relationship with someone, uh, you know, intimately, you need to talk about your sexual health with them and the last time you were tested or things of that nature, like where does that come from? Nowhere. No one's, no one's telling anybody that that is important, right? We may talk about values, which are also important, right? Um, and, and a lot of other things, but that was a big thing in our group is that, you know, growing up, education in school, even discussions, you know, with maybe that family member who had that birds and the bees talk or whatever it was with you that, Nobody was saying like, hey, you need to take care of yourself in this way and make sure that you are getting tested and you know your STI status and you are sharing it and asking those questions of other people. Yeah. Uh, Shame and rejection. You said shame and rejection were two things that came up. I'm curious to know if you can give us like a vague uh, share of how you support people in navigating those two things because these are high up on the list of what people experience. There's this fear of rejection and then there's just this 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 shame. Absolutely. Um, and shame is really society, um, societally built, right? Uh, shame is something as simple as like, I woke up late and I'm going to be late to work so now I'm going to tell my boss that there is traffic on the highway. Instead of just saying, oh, I just woke up late today, I'm going to be late. You know, it's like we think that we need to construct this other uh, lie that's going to make us, you know, sound valuable, sound like this is okay. It's not okay for me to wake up late, but it is okay if there was traffic, right? Um, so, I mean, shame is related to so many different things. Um it's kind of this spectrum of shame, right? There's 
um, avoidance, there's denial, there's, you know, somebody who willingly accepts it but jokes about it, um, things of that nature. Breaking down shame is really about, like, small things that we do every day to kind of build up our, our self-esteem. So when I talk to people about kind of breaking down feelings of shame, it's really about what are the small wins that, that we can have on a daily basis. But this, you know, obviously this isn't something that can be tackled overnight. Um, but it's really, if we're experiencing a lot of shame, it is probably connected to lower self-worth and, and self-esteem. So what are the small things that we're going to do on a daily basis, even including positive self-talk and things of that nature, to build that up and decrease level of shame? Yeah, I like what you said about uh, shame being... I think you were going down the path of saying that shame isn't ours. It's constructed socially and externally and then projected onto us. And then we internalize that shame. And I'm seeing that we also have internalized stigma. Can you speak to that? Because you mentioned negative self-talk and you're giving me words and language that I hadn't had before now to put pieces together. So thoughts are sort of processing as I speak out loud. So when I hear uh, shame and stigma, I think that that's projected onto us. We internalize it and then it becomes our story. And then this is what impacts our negative self-talk, which influences our behavior. Is that kind of like the roadmap? The que- well, shit, I guess that was a question. Like, is this what that looks like? <laughs> okay. Um, I... uh, we were going back to stigma being projected. Is that right? No, no. So I just wanted to paint that picture for people. That was it. Yeah. Um, I do want to know how we... Uh, I'm feeling like we don't end herpes stigma in the world. Like, it just doesn't go away. But what I do feel like is we end it within ourselves and then we start to sort of radiate that into our communities, into our support groups, into our dating life by being confident enough to just be like, yeah, you know, I have herpes and I still have an active sex life. I'll share this with people who I want to know. And when we all can get to that level within ourselves, it's like stigma just becomes so irrelevant that it's not a thing anymore. And my question from giving that bit of a background is how do we dissolve stigma within ourselves through therapy? Okay. (laughs) Um, Gosh, in a, in a ton of different ways. So, you know, that while society may project that stigma on uh, to us from the beginning, right. um, It's holding on to most likely a lot of other deep rooted emotions that we have in our life too right so you know um if we're talking about especially someone who never really experienced shame until this diagnosis right you know which that would be great um just to say that i've only experienced shame um in regards to a diagnosis um if that were the case You know, we could look at just identifying feelings that are related to the diagnosis, processing through those emotions, um, talking about different self-care activities, uh, different, you know, mantras, positive affirmations, positive self-talk, things of that nature um, to build build up your self-esteem, challenging any negative self-talk or cognitive distortions that may be attached to this uh, diagnosis and this stigma. If we're talking, you know, about somebody who has had uh, a struggle with mental health journey their entire lives, and now we have this compiled on top of that, um, you know, coming from a a trauma perspective, this diagnosis itself can be very traumatic for a lot of people, right? A lot of people hear the word trauma, PTSD, they think uh, war veteran, big things of that nature, right? Um, trauma is different for every person, right? Uh, we could all, you know, be in one space and see and hear the exact same thing and experience it completely different. Um, so with that being said, on an individual basis, um, with somebody who has experienced a lot of other mental health symptoms, 
Um, this diagnosis and the stigma of this diagnosis can be very dramatic, right? So um, we are going to have to break down a lot more, probably internal and external barriers that have been built up for somebody of that nature. The process is going to look similar, but it's going to take longer, yeah. right? There's, there's going to be a lot more to uncover and dig up and process through, and it's already ingrained probably from a long time. So it's, it's going to take quite a while to get through all of that. Yeah. Um, I had had a conversation with someone this morning, not too long before our call, and they spoke to me about just how broken they are and that no one is going to want to come and fix them and save them and that I guess time heals all wounds. And I don't necessarily know that I agree with time being what heals all wounds. I think that there's a need for the willingness to look at the perceived brokenness per the story that we tell ourselves from the shame that was projected onto us that we have internalized. When we're willing to look at what we subjectively view as brokenness, we can begin to like heal by putting the pieces back together. And over time, those pieces that are there that are broken, that we've reorganized and processed and dealt with and looked at and healed from, those begin to solidify in a place where we have reconstructed whatever perceived brokenness of ourselves and we've made a new identity for ourselves. And to me, therapy, uh, in my personal experience, has been a way of doing that rather than just being like, oh, well, I'll just wait for the pain to go away or avoid it until something new comes along or use uh, someone or something to numb out, not feel the pain, avoid it altogether. Therapy has made me look at that and take my power back in reconstructing the pieces that are, quote, broken. Um, Do you have anything to add to that statement at all? I mean, I would would agree that... um Sure, avoidance may be a a temporary way of coping, but in the long term, that avoidance isn't going to get you anywhere, right? So that that time heals all. Uh, I think it depends on maybe what we're talking about, right? Um, And this isn't just a physical, right? Yes, uh, this diagnosis can affect somebody's body physically, obviously, but the mental effects that this diagnosis has are way more severe than the physical effects for most people. Yeah, thank you for adding that at the end. I was about to say it. (laughs) Um, Yeah, and we can have completely different responses to the same traumatic event. And I'm at 230-ish podcast episodes at this point, and that's what it's been. While, you know, some of the end actions have been the same between uh, something as extreme as a suicide attempt uh, or as common as experiencing depression, you know, people do cope however they know to cope. And it's important for us to be able to tap into and reach into Uh, our support systems, our various resources that we have available to us because, you know, again, that shame will also not only keep us from healing, it'll keep us isolated. It'll keep us not wanting to look out and reach out for help. It'll keep us from wanting to seek support and create a sense of allyship from within our community, which is the very thing that we need in order for us to work our way through this. Absolutely. Yeah, so, so uh, the shame, the diagnosis, whatever, you know, it may be that kind of, like you almost said, like owning it and reflecting on it, right? Um, that can, you know, owning and reflecting on like instances of shame, right? What can I learn from this? How can I do better? That yeah. can really help build, build resiliency and pride and, and take you a long way. One of the things we talked about in the group was like, where are we? Um, where are we at in this process, right? There's individuals like you, right, who who people would say, um, you know, like, oh, I've heard it on your past podcast. What did you call it? Um, freedom something. Um, I don't know, basically like a freedom fighter for. Oh, right? my like, God. Who said that? Who said that? Uh, uh, <laughs> I know what you're talking about. I know what you're talking about. I, um, I can't remember everyone's real name or their fake name, so I don't say names. He's like, sure, I'll, sure. I'll, yeah, we'll connect. And but, I know so there was also this level of 
supposed to be at with being comfortable with the diagnoses, right? So there's individuals like Courtney who are out here and who are open with the entire world. And, and then there are people who are like, I don't think I can ever get there. And, and being okay with that, right? So that not everyone is expected to be out here being a freedom fighter. If that is what makes you complete, if that is what makes you feel good, um, if that is what helps get you through the day-to-day, that is awesome. But that is not the expectation, right? Like, we don't expect everyone to be out here. Um, you know, we don't expect everyone to acknowledge every comment that is made about herpes and fight back for it, right? But what you do need to be able to do is not let that comment that you heard at a party ruin the rest of your evening and have you ruminating on unhelpful thoughts in your head. So, right, like you at least need to have the, t- the s- tools and skills, which you probably need to get through therapy, to challenge that and maintain your own composure and, and self-worth even when you hear those things yeah. coming from outsiders. Yeah, I, I tell everybody it's a trauma response. It's a, <laughs> it's a nothing special. <laughs> so... <laughs> But uh, in all seriousness, like I recognize my privilege and I'm glad that you you segued and transitioned exactly to where I wanted to take this, which was, you know, us, our healing and expression of healing. It looks different for me. You know, I can argue that the creation of something positive for positive people was an avoidance tactic to minimize my exposure to rejection. So, like, that's one way to look at it. But along the process, like. I am in a space where I'm constantly recharging myself because there's a healing that's taking place from holding space for these conversations and having some sense of a mission or purpose, whereas someone else's version of what I'm doing can just look like getting through the day. Like it's hard to do, especially if you're someone who hasn't been given the tools, you haven't been given the resources, you don't know what direction to go into after a herpes diagnosis. And the only thing that you have is your reaction to those three words. You have herpes. So in response to uh, navigating this stigma, like I want people to know my goal through putting you through therapy or supporting you and connecting you to these resources isn't for you to be like me. It's not for you to be able to go on your social media and say, I have herpes. No, the point of therapy for people with herpes, if you will, is that this is an introduction to it. Everyone can benefit from therapy. There should be therapy for everyone. And fortunately, through an unfortunate event, if you look at it subjectively, which is getting herpes, this was a movement, a business, a community that was structured in a way to make that kind of a thing happen. So I want for people to be able to come here, get what they need and move on and be able to manage the day-to-day symptoms if they have them, manage their disclosures and be able to manage any stigma that surfaces externally from the world around you in a way that you choose. So this is about empowering you to make your own choice. This is not you come in and it's like, hi, Katie. Uh, What are you here for? I'm here because I have herpes. That's not what this looks like. And I don't want people to think that either. We're working through real things beyond the herpes diagnosis. Right, Katie? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I mean, some of the some of the things that we touched on in this group. Right. Um, Obviously, yes. You know, it was kind of our first meeting was setting some some ground rules, figuring out, hey, what are some some things that you guys want to talk about while we're here, um, things of that nature, setting some boundaries. But I mean, we, we talked about stress in general, right? We talked about shame. We talked about personal values and personal boundaries. We talked about the benefits of, of, you know, physical activity on stress and mental health. Um, we talked a little bit about foods, right. And, you know, paying attention to that and our reactions within our body um, self-compassion, we did like a self-compassion quiz and, um, you know, talked about increasing some of that. Um, and then like cognitive distortions, right? So those thinking errors that really all of us have, um, but there are a ton that are connected with getting a diagnosis as well. Um, 
tried to give a mantra at the end of every group, right? So I was like, if you, if you, I hope not, but if you for some reason get nothing else from this, then you're at least going to leave with, with 12 different mantras, right? That, that you can speak to yourself and, um, and integrate into your life. So that was always a really fun one because sometimes we kind of came up with them as a group uh, as well. Um, so there's, yeah, and, and even to say, you know, because somebody might simply just be fearful and afraid of talking about the herpes in general, right? Just to say, like, honestly, you, you probably don't even have to talk about that for a few weeks if you don't want to. Honestly, you're going to get something out of this even if you don't talk about it. Yeah. Um, early on, you spoke to wanting to touch on the importance of community. Can you do me? A, can you do me a favor? Can you elaborate on that? I don't know why I said, can you do me a favor? <laughs> sure. Sure. Um, absolutely. So having others around you who have similar lived life experiences, um, is helpful, right? And, in any aspect of life. So I can say, obviously this was the first group that I um, have done uh, with you. Hopefully there are more because it was great. Um, I think I loved it just as much as <laughs> some of them did. Um, but this was a fantastic group of individuals. They were very supportive. They were very empathetic towards one another, one another. very encouraging towards one another, right? I mean... Um, we need more people like that in our lives. You could just feel, so this was done virtually, right? Had people from, from all over the country. Yes. But a few, even not from, uh, the U S, um, you could feel the energy through the screen, right? Which is amazing because most people these days know what virtual communication is like and it can suck. Um, and so, being with a group of people, and, and man, I hope that everyone can relate to this somehow, whether they were on a team growing up as a kid, like being in a group of supportive people, of encouraging people, that in itself is therapeutic, right? That in itself makes you feel good, even if it's just for that amount of time that you're with those individuals. So having a sense of, I can relate in this community um, and in this community, I can be myself and not have to hide things um, is so important. I'd like and, and sometimes those may be the only spaces where people feel like they're true selves. I would like to add to this by sharing my own experience. Um, you hit the nail on the head with an experience that I've had where when I found community, I found these support groups. I began to spend more time in these spaces, like digitally around people who knew that I had herpes. It took for me to be around my friends, my teammates, people who've known me for forever. And one of them asked me, hey, man, you all right? You don't seem like yourself. And I'm like in my phone the entire time because I'm liking the atmosphere of other people who all have herpes. And when he asked me that, I couldn't unsee that uh, feeling, that that visceral response that I had to that, which was, damn, I am in a physical space of people who are in proximity who have known me for years, who we've been through things, we've played sports together, we've gone through some of the most challenging times of our lives to that point. And I'm deciding to be around these complete strangers who only know that I have herpes and also have herpes. And I had to realize I liked myself more around people who also knew that I had herpes than I did around people who have known me even before my diagnosis. So something was wrong there. Something had to change. And for me, what that looked like was beginning to disclose to people around me and recognizing that they didn't look at me any different. So those friendships became so much more uh, deep 
I was able to better connect with the people around me. And while they may not have had herpes, me sharing that piece of vulnerable information about me allowed for them to open up about different things in their lives. So this just was something that fostered a more in-depth connection than could have existed if I were to try and keep these two aspects of my identities separated. So I'm going to paraphrase a lot of uh, Brene Brown's words here, right? But we as humans are are wired for love and belonging, right? So it is literally the fear of rejection that keeps us from disclosing and connecting to people, right? Um, the fear of being pushed away. Um, and so, whereas like you said, you know, I grew up with these people, we've experienced so many things together, I am already connected with them. If I share this, I may lose that connection, right? Um, and so, I mean, it, it really does suck to just think that we live in a world where if I'm honest with someone, I'm going to lose a connection, especially when it comes to something like, you know, disclosing an STI status. Um, but that is the, you know, the base of it, that love and belonging that we all want, uh, want for, you know, that is one of the most painful things to lose is a connection. Yeah. Uh, you making very smooth transition. So can we speak to <laughs> disclosure? Actually, um, I know from speaking to people that some people were very, afraid of disclosing for sure and you kind of just explained it there like we have connection we want to hold on to connection and we fear that our honesty is going to break that connection can you speak to that for me sure um yeah i mean talk about vulnerability right vulnerability in the biggest sense of like uh speaking to something that you are already afraid if i say this i'm afraid this is going to happen and then still doing it right um in the group um when we talked about disclosure i mean it was obviously there is not a one size fits all here um right that you know obviously we would you know hope that we're going to try and disclose before any uh sexual intimacy and and things like that happen but you know, for, for some people that is really hard, right? And everyone is human. So sometimes that may not happen. And then, you know, we talked about navigating that, whereas, you know, I, I wasn't strong enough to say it now, but now I, now I have a ton of other guilt and shame, uh, because I wasn't able to disclose or something of that nature. Um, but we, we worked through, um, kind of what you would want your disclosure to sound like, like if you were at your best Self, right? Maybe if you were this this freedom fighter, what would your herpes disclosure kind of sound like? Um, and the group did an amazing job kind of writing those and, and vibing off of one another and taking bits and pieces from each other. Like, I, you know, I really like what, what she said. I really like what they said. Um, I'm, I'm going to add that, you know, to kind of what I hope I am going to be able to say. Um, we talked about it in a sense of like, any other important conversation that you would want to have or when you were studying um, in school, when you had to give a presentation, like, did you practice it? Yeah, you know, because it meant something to you. You wanted to make sure that you said it in the best way that you could, um, that you were prepared, right? So, like, the importance of, as silly as it may sound, like, practicing this, you know, whether it's with yourself in the mirror or whether it's with someone who does know your status, um, to just be more comfortable within yourself to say it. You know, we talked about, you know, tone, rate, you know, like volume, like body language, that a lot of times it is just the way in which we say something that can have an impact on somebody else, right? So if, if somebody is out there and they, you know, are disclosing and, you know, making herpes sound worse than it is, well, the potential for rejection probably just skyrocketed, right? So, like, let's really look at the language that we're going to use. Um, and that is one of the harder things that, that the group kind of explored is that, well, what is the right language, right? Statistically speaking, 
you know, there might not be uh, enough helpful statistics out there necessarily, right? Um, and so a lot of the group's conversations um, focused around, you know, like, let's, let's talk about it in a space of, like, this is really how it affects my life. Really the most is in this moment when I have to tell you about it, right? But here's how I manage it, and here's how I keep myself kind of healthy. Um, we also talked a lot about transitioning to that through just what we talked about at the very beginning of our conversation of asking about STI uh, status, right? Like something that we weren't taught to do, but if we can maybe do that first and kind of break down some barriers of, hey, you know, what is your status? Or I, you know, I like to go get tested with my potential partners before you know, we engage in any physical intimacy or things of that nature, um, for some people can kind of help break down those barriers as well. Yeah, thank you for that detail that you just offered us. Uh, so we've got, we've covered diagnosis, disclosure, we've, dis- we've uncovered, um, we've uncovered, we've touched on stigma, it's early here. <laughs> um, and I feel like what this episode offers is an idea of the bigger picture for the life cycle of someone who discovers something positive for positive people. So you might find the podcast, you may find my social media, you may see you know, some of the funny stuff that I try and share to keep things lighthearted. You may have a conversation with me via DMs and you may find yourself curious about therapy based on what you hear in this podcast episode and even community. And once you get into that space, I think that's when the really hard stuff begins because now you are directly challenging narratives that have, again, been projected onto you, internalized by you, and now influence your self-thought, your self-thinking, your self-talk, and now your behaviors are that you're doing things that are going to directly challenge your negative self-talk that are going to challenge the internalized shame that are going to challenge the projections of what's coming into you from those around you. So coming in and beginning this process is going to be something that provides a transformation that I hope to make in the herpes space period. I can't say that there is anything else out there like this. Um, I know that there are people who do coaching calls. There are people who uh, provide entertainment in relation to herpes, these short hits of dopamine that make you feel better about yourself just through laughter. But I mean, I'm not going to be an entertainer. I don't necessarily consider myself to be doing much more than being like a launch pad for people's experiences and a touch point for healing. So when people find me, when they find this space, all I'm doing is just basically being that coordinate, that coordinate point for people's lived experiences who, you know, people who share, like I consider y'all to be volunteers. Like that's what this is. It's a nonprofit organization made up of volunteers who are willing to trust me with their anonymity and come here and share for the sake of helping complete strangers that they'll never cross paths with. So that's what my hope is. Bigger picture is that people are able to, and even if you don't get therapy here, but see how therapy itself can be utilized. If you already have a therapist, if you already have community, know that you have the ability to go deep if you choose to do so. And it's choice. I want for something positive for positive people to represent choice for you. Katie, do you have any other things that you want to touch on before we close out? Yeah, Um, not necessarily. I mean, as I I touched on before, I think um, the group was incredibly powerful for, um, I hope, everybody in it. And I I feel pretty safe in saying that um, people came back 
pretty much consistently. And if they couldn't make it, they hated not being there and wanted to know what we what we did and what we talked about. Um, you know, that creating safe spaces to be vulnerable and share, you know, is important, right? We're all wired for that that connection, that love and belonging. So anywhere we can create that, let's let's do it. Thank you. And you're a damn good therapist as well. I hope that people who listen to this, you know, if they don't need to go through something positive for positive people, that they'll be able to contact you and work with you directly. So if you can, go ahead and just drop the best way for people to get in contact with you. And I'll also include it in the show notes. Sure, absolutely. Um, So you can find me on psychologytoday.com if you are searching for therapists there. Um, again, I'm, my name is Katie Lang. I am based out of St. Louis, Missouri. Um, and then Katie at, uh, strongmindcounseling.com as well would be my email. Oh, not counseling and wellness. That would have been a hell of a long email, huh? It would have. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Katie, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for your service to our community and just for being you. I appreciate you. Thank you. Right back at you. All right, that concludes this episode of Something Positive for Positive People. Please, again, like, rate, review, subscribe to, share this podcast. If you follow me on Instagram at H on my chest, there is a lot of one-on-one dialogue that I share when I can anonymously. Um, I'll regularly do some sort of survey or poll. And if you go to my Instagram story highlights, you'll see based on different titles, uh, ways people disclose, ways people navigate rejection, the ways that people manage symptoms, uh, how people are experiencing dating. Lots of just useful resources can be found there. I don't like directing people to Instagram, but that I mean, only because like Instagram's like shitting on my posts where I'm directing people to my podcast. So I want to do more with the website. But for now, I'm going to close out everything it is that I have uh, pending on Instagram. And then moving forward, we'll see what we got to do in order to make it work and continue to have that visibility. But what you can do in order to support us is like these posts, share these posts, save these posts, and give them the kind of engagement that Instagram is looking for for its platform. And yeah, I'll keep pumping out podcasts as long as I can and uh, continue to raise the money in order to have this be an ongoing support resource for people who are navigating stigma. If you would like to make a monetary donation, please consider doing so on Cash App or Venmo at Courtney Brain. And if you're not in the States, you can donate uh, via PayPal at paypal.com slash SPFPP. And remember, you can contact me whenever uh, at Courtney at SPFPP.org or you can just connect with me on social media again at H on my chest. Till next time, stay sex positive.